0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Welcome, everyone. Let's just stay standing for a moment. How's everyone doing? We're good. Good to see you. A lot of energy in the house today. It's a great day to be in God's house. We're looking at kingdom culture all across our uh, Numa global locations. And uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we just thank You so much that Your Spirit is here to heal and to transform and to move powerfully in our hearts and our lives right now. Father, we pray right across uh, our city location here this morning across every Numa location, Lord, in Perth, Bangkok, across Melbourne. Father, we are praying for a great move of Your Spirit. Lord, we've been singing to prepare the way for Your Spirit to come and move. And we are asking, O God, that Lord, in this season, that Father, we would see the very things that we are speaking, declaring and singing, O God, in our own lives. I thank You, Lord, right now, that You are going to bring solutions for problems in people's lives that Lord, you're gonna bring breakthrough where there are challenges and things that we're believing for, but haven't seen answers. I thank you, Father, that in the next few moments, supernatural encounter is going to take place and we just declare over this service and over every life your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven lord you are building your church we want to align with you we want to follow you and what you're doing i just ask right now holy spirit quicken to my mind and my heart your word to feed your people and to encourage and edify this church i pray in jesus name everyone said Amen. amen awesome take a seat We're in the middle of Vision Month, and uh, today we're looking at our core values of Kingdom Culture, and next week we're going to be taking up our Vision Offering, and so I'd encourage you to actually prepare yourself to give generously into that offering, and uh, right across our church we've been leading up to our Vision Offering, and moving into the rest of the year, uh, we've been casting Vision next week. I'll do a little bit of a recap. Uh, and then we will be moving forward into our year. And so if you haven't yet received a vision offering card, you can get that on your way out in the foyer. Also, there is an updated vision brochure, which, which gives you all the details. So make sure that you check that out and be praying about what it is that God wants you to give as we move into a new season together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12, Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount. Normally, when I ask us to open up the Scriptures and we begin to uh, look at a particular Scripture text, I will uh, expound that and verse by verse work through it. Today, I'm not going to be doing that with this text, but what I am going to be doing is using it as a launching pad to talk about our kingdom culture values, because in these verses we're about to read, Jesus gives us values of the kingdom. He gives us insights, otherwise known as Beatitudes, the eight Beatitudes, are like core values of God's kingdom. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which you can read later and study later, is all about unpacking what those values look like in everyday life. And so let's read what Jesus says. In verse 1, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now some of you would not be aware, a little bit of a Wikipedia fact for you today, that The Netherlands produces 85% of the world's supply of tulips. And what's interesting about that is that the climate of the Netherlands isn't conducive to growing flowers or to growing tulips. And so what they do is they build greenhouses of the right atmosphere that tulips can grow in, and then they send all of those flowers around the world. The Latin uh, meaning of culture actually means to cultivate land to become fruitful. And when the right environment has been cultivated in the Netherlands, what was impossible to grow starts to grow. I began to think about that as it relates to the role of the church and the kingdom of God in the world that we live in. The climate spiritually of the world we live in is not conducive to the advancement of the kingdom of God, But when we build greenhouses of kingdom culture, the kingdom of God can begin to advance. The kingdom of God can take momentum and begin to achieve what it's designed to accomplish. Culture is defined as the collective ideas, customs and actions that shape group behaviour. And if you've been around church for any length of time or this is your first time, it's important you understand every church has a unique culture. That culture either helps or hinders the growth of that church. It doesn't matter how clear the vision is or how defined the mission is. If there isn't a healthy culture, the vision won't be fulfilled and the mission won't be accomplished. And one of the things you discover in any workplace, in any family and in any church, that culture never automatically trends up. It always trends down. It defaults to the lowest common denominator of our brokenness and of our fallenness. And so what we need to do continually is to define it and to design it. We need to speak to it. We need to be intentional about building the culture that God has called us to build. One of the other things you learn about culture is that it's a process, not an event. We can't host a revival conference in August And think and conclude that we now have revival. It's not how it works. We can't preach about kingdom culture one time and then automatically think that culture is clear, it's defined and it's shaped. We have to make continual adjustments in our personal lives and in the life of the church to align with the kingdom culture that God has called us to. And so across Vision Month, we've been exploring some of the big rocks of our church. We've looked at vision. Vision has to do with what does our future look like? Where are we heading? We've talked about God calling us to plant 200 new churches across four global hubs, four key cities around the world that carry a spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations. That big vision has local expression in time to come in the future here at City, We will redevelop this property. We will add to it. We'll need to uh, increase dimensions and dynamics of what we do out of this facility in our local community because we are on the move. We are growing. We are moving forward. And so um, nothing ever stays static. It's either going backwards or it's moving forward. And we're not going backwards, we're moving forward. And so you can expect over the coming years... uh, a positive change take place, how we utilise this facility, our services, etc., all that we're doing in the community, how we're engaging and discipling people. It'll become more and more sharp and effective and enlarged as we grow. But all of that has to ultimately serve the bigger vision of seeing 200 NUMA churches be established. That isn't just something that we at City Location are responsible for. It's something that NUMA Global together, we're going to see God's vision become a reality. When we talk about the mission, we're talking about why we exist. What's our purpose? And the reason we exist as a church has already been defined in the Word of God. We exist to advance God's kingdom across the nations. It begins here in Melbourne, extends to the state capital cities of Australia and beyond, and then it goes to the nations of the earth. And so that's our mission. That's our our what may seem like a mission impossible should we choose to accept it, It's God's mission for us that actually Jesus has has said it is possible because he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. Next, we're talking about values. Values is what shapes behaviour. Values is what's important to us in terms of our collective ideas, paradigms, values, language, sound, how we do what we do. And if our mission to advance God's kingdom across the nations is going to be fulfilled, our culture must align with the kingdom. Our culture must reflect the kingdom. Our culture must reproduce the kingdom of God because uh, if culture is the horse, mission is the carriage. We can't put the carriage before the horse. The horse of culture has to carry along the mission. You're only as good as your culture. You can have lots of great ideas, even in business, but if your culture is unhealthy, it's not going to work. And so God has called us to understand what our culture is and align it with the values of the kingdom of God. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He gives us several values that then He unpacks and elaborates on to help us understand how those values work in action. What I want to do today and what we're doing across all our locations is unpacking our seven kingdom culture values, how they work, what they look like and how we can imbibe of them in our lives. Are you ready for it today? We're only going to be touching on a little bit on each one because we don't have a lot of time, but let's go. Number one, prayer fuels power. This is where we ask the question, have you prayed about it? We often worry about things or we gossip about things, but have we prayed about things? Have you prayed about it? Requires you and I to take responsibility to bring those matters of our lives before God. Is prayer your first response to life or your last resort? Prayer should not be a panic button that we push when everything goes pear-shaped and we've exhausted all of our efforts and we don't know what to do. Prayer should be our first response. It should be the first thing we do in response to the challenges of life. Everything good happens after prayer. It's like, you know, you can live your life and you can do what you do and and think that everything's going well and then you like, stuff starts to go wrong. I'd rather, let's build a culture, an atmosphere of prayer where prayer is the air that we breathe. There is a direct correlation in life between your prayer life And your spiritual breakthrough. Little prayer, little breakthrough. Lots of prayer, lots of breakthrough. Why? Because God has chosen the vehicle of prayer to fulfill and establish His purposes on the earth. It's not that God um, can't move, He is sovereign, He can do whatever He wants. But in Scripture, it's revealed that He limits His intervention to our intercession. He deliberately designs designs and desires us as his covenant partners on the earth to come into partnership with him, come into alignment with his will and one of the ways that we fulfil his will is through partnering with him in prayer. Now in World War II, the Nazi U-boats would target the supply ships that were going to the front line to drop off supplies, ammunition, all sorts of things the reason they would do that is because they recognise that if they could cut off the supply line, they could actually stop the allies from winning the battle at the front line. The adversary of our soul, the enemy, does exactly the same thing in our lives when he wants to cut off our power, the spiritual power, the spiritual supply line to the front lines of our own life. What's the first thing to go when you get too busy? Your prayer life. What's the first thing to go when you're under so much pressure in your workplace, work deadline, issues in relationships? It's often our prayer lives. And we run around trying to fix it in our own ability and our own capacity. What if we flip that the other way around? And rather than running to God in prayer as our last resort, it's our first response. It's what we do every single time. We're we're prayer maniacs in this church. We pray and we pray and we pray. It informs why we do the services we do. Why we have prayer power on a Wednesday night, currently 7.30pm, Sunday afternoons here at City, 3pm. Why prayer bookends our services. Why prayer is in our life groups. Why prayer, we have a prayer ministry team. Why we pray for people in our services. Why we have a prophetic pillar with prayer and intercession as an integral part of it. Why one day we'll have a prayer chapel overlooking the city. It's why we do what we do. Why? Because prayer fuels power. Let's be a people of prayer. Secondly, number two, God's Word is our foundation. This is so important that we understand that the key question is, what does God's Word say about that? What does God's Word say about money? What does God's Word say about sexuality? What does God's Word say about issues in our culture? What does God's Word say about what I'm going through right now? Often, well-intended believers, we often Uh, elevate our opinion over God's truth and we live in a culture and a society where everyone has a soapbox now through social media to believe their own Kool-Aid and think that our opinions are now truth because in the culture that we live truth is relative to the individual and your feelings and your experience however that is not what the Bible says Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life If you want to know what the truth is, don't consult yourself because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can understand it. You've got to consult God's opinion, God's Word and His opinion and His Word on things is not sort of negotiable. Have you discovered that? So like when God wants to do something in your life, he generally doesn't change his mind. He generally is fairly committed to the truth that he's outlined in his word. And so what we've got to do is we've got to study the truth. We've got to understand the truth. And God's word being our foundation informs why we preach the word and not just man's opinion why we study the Scriptures in our life groups, why we have a Pneuma College, why we do what we do. Matthew 4.4 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God, meaning it's all inspired by God, even the bits we don't understand. And so from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to be students of the Word, people of the Word, reading it, studying it, understanding it. And one of the roles of preachers and teachers in the life of the church is to unpack the Word in such a way that you can understand it, you can access it, and you can apply it in your life. You'll never find a time in our church where your pastor will get up and give you a TED Talk. I love TED Talks. They're helpful. But it's not the Word of God. And so we're not building a TED church. We're not building a self-help church. We're not building a motivational gospel church. We're building a church that is based upon the truth of God's Word. We need to interpret it. We need to understand it in context, but, and then we need to apply it in our lives. You know, Jesus talked about a wise man and a foolish man. Both of these men built their house on something. One built his house upon a firm foundation, the rock. The other built his house on the shifting sands of culture. Storms came to both men. And when the storm comes, it reveals what foundation we're building our lives upon. The man who built his house upon the rock of God's Word, hearing and doing the Word, His house stood firm when the storms came. But the man who built his house and his life on just hearing the Word was building on sand. See, it's not just about hearing the Word, it's about doing the Word. And James 1.22 says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Why is it that two people in the same service, hearing the same message, in the same pew can produce two different types of fruit and results. The issue isn't with the seed of God's Word. The seed of God's Word is quality. The seed of God's Word works. The issue is to do, the, to do with the condition of soil that our hearts receive the seed of Word in. And it's not just what you hear once the seed goes into your heart, it's what you do with it. I would rather you apply 1% of this message and see that produce 1% of fruit in your life than you hear the word, acknowledge it in your mind but not do anything about it. God's word is our foundation and that will never change. The plumb line of scripture is what we filter, translate and evaluate how we live our lives through. Number three, Making disciples is not optional. It is a command that Jesus has given to us. One of the most challenging questions we have out of all of our core values is Who are you discipling? And the reason why that's challenging is because it's a question that very rarely gets asked of Christians. Most Christians are asked the question, you know, which church do you attend? Which service do you attend? Uh, What what ministry team are you a part of that you're serving in? These are okay questions, but that's not the question that Jesus asked of us. He said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That was not an optional idea or suggestion. It was a divine command. And often we can translate the commands of Jesus or the teachings of the Word of God through a Western individualised worldview where we make it more about us than we make it about others. And so we ask the question, okay, discipleship is important. I get that, Pastor. Well, who's discipling me? And whilst that, again, is an okay question, it misses the point. Jesus didn't ask, who's discipling you? He commissioned you to go and make disciples. And this is one of the things I've learned. When you start to teach somebody, someone else, a body of information or certain content, you often learn the best. If you want to learn something, teach somebody else. Disciple them. And I've discovered as we get focused on identifying those people that are on God's heart and reaching out and starting to disciple them, often our own discipleship will take care of itself. Can I encourage you in a church our size, if you are going to be effectively discipled or make disciples, you need to be a part of a life group. You need to be a part of a small group. We are a large church. We are multiple thousands of people in multiple locations. And I would love, and I genuinely mean this, and my team knows this because they know my heart, I genuinely love people. That's helpful being a pastor, isn't it? It's helpful to love people. I genuinely have the heart of a shepherd for people. And one of my greatest pains in life is that I'm not able to sit down with every single one of you every week or every month and disciple you one-on-one. That is genuinely, just ask my EA, that is genuinely a a point of frustration for me because I value life-on-life ministry and discipleship. But can you just bear with me and understand for a moment there's over 5,000 people in our church and I am not the Holy Spirit. I do my best, but I'm not the Holy Spirit. But what I can do is lead our church in a way that identifies a core group on our staff that I can connect with and disciple. And then from our staff and from our life groups and from all of the volunteers and from all the leaders in the church, we can disciple literally tens of thousands of people together <laughs> Because we're building a discipleship culture. None of us can be all things to all people, but we can disciple someone. We can reach out to someone. We can minister to someone. We can invest into someone's life. Let's not be busy with activity that adds little kingdom productivity. Don't come to the end of your life and stand before Jesus and go, oh, I did everything else but the one thing you asked me to do. What if every single person in the church was in a life group and was discipling one person, was in a life group leading a community of faith in discipleship and understanding what it means to follow Jesus? I'm telling you, we really would see God's kingdom come and His will would be done. Please don't ignore the Great Commission. Making disciples is not optional. Number four miracles are normal. Is the supernatural part of my daily life experience? And the question we ask here is, is the supernatural an exception in my life or the norm? And when we think about that question, we often have a Hollywood-esque definition of the supernatural. We have this idea even from the Old Testament that, you know, the Red Sea should be parting and the burning bush should be happening and the sun should... Uh, stop and and stay still in order for me to say that it was a miracle, that it was a supernatural occurrence. But can I tell you, the supernatural is as natural as breathing. The supernatural is not ooky spooky, super Spiro, sort of weird, you know, angel dance, wave the flag and blow the shofar. That is not the supernatural that we are encouraging here at Numa. The supernatural that we're encouraging is how Jesus lived amongst people and He prayed for people. He ministered to people. You have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have supernatural solutions that are scripted and written on the inside of you. What we need to do is be people of faith, stepping out in obedience to what God is asking us to do. Can I say miracles are still on the menu of the New Testament church. Don't believe the hype, don't believe the lie that miracles like deliverance and prophecy and healing and speaking in tongues died out in the first century. Have you ever been to a restaurant where you tried to order something and they said, oh no, we've run out of that. Oh no, that went off 10 weeks ago, they'd never admit to that. Oh no, we don't have that anymore. And you're like, well you tell me what I can order off the menu because I'm trying to order here and it's all off the menu. That is not the experience you're gonna have in God's kingdom with his word, miracles are still on the menu. Healing is still on the menu, deliverance is still on the menu, prophecy is still on the menu, the gift of evangelism is still on the menu. Signs and wonders are still on the menu. So if it's still on the menu, why aren't you ordering it? You have not, because you asked not. Maybe instead of lowering your expectation to the to the things of our everyday life let's actually lift our vision and our faith and our petitioning and believing for God to move supernaturally in our workplaces in our families in our money in every single area of our life you know we have miracles happening here every week I think maybe we should report more and talk more about what's going on because literally people are being healed every week in this church People are being transformed, marriages are being restored, financial breakthroughs are happening, there's all prophecies and clarity of callings and purpose and destiny, impartation of the gifts of the Spirit happening every single week. We don't always talk about it, but it's happening all the time as people get a revelation that miracles are normal. Number five, love gives generously. This is where we ask the question, am I personal responsibility growing in generosity and another good question alongside that is really am i becoming more like jesus because if the more you become like jesus the more generous you become john 3:16 says for god so loved the world that he what he gave his one and only son he gave his very best you are never more like god than when you give Because the nature of God is love. And the nature of love is to give and share of itself. It would be incongruent, lacking integrity to say you love someone and not ever be generous towards them. If I tell my wife on our wedding day, I love you, but this is as good as it gets. I'm never going to give you anything after this day. You've got, you've got me. That's it. Awesome. Have a nice life. I'm going to get slapped upside the head if I bring that attitude to my marriage. And yet often we can sort of treat God and his house and the people of God with a similar attitude that says, well, when I got saved, I told you I love you. Isn't that enough? And God's like, no, okay, that's good. That's a good start. But actually I've called you into a covenant relationship with me. I've actually called you and commissioned you and, and called you to be a steward, not an owner of what I've given to you. And to actually live a life of worship where through your generosity, you worship me and you bring breakthrough and joy and, and healing into other people's lives. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. But the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. You know, giving really is a lordship issue. Giving is not so much about a money issue. It's about who is Lord of your life. Are you the Lord of your life or is Jesus? Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart is also. So imagine with me that your landlord, if you rent a house, the landlord comes, knocks on your door, um, wanting to collect rent money. And you answer the door by breaking out into praise and worship. He is the landlord. He is the landlord, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you are the landlord. And then you slam the door shut. The landlord's there going, that's different, I've never had that experience before. But I'm a gracious landlord, I'm going to come back the next week. Give them the benefit of the doubt, let's see what happens the next week. Come back the next week, knock on the door, you open the door, you burst into song again. I can guarantee you by about the second line, the landlord is going to go, shut up and show me the money, right? Your praise and worship isn't that good, right? And that's crude and raw and yet sometimes I think that we adopt a similar attitude when we come to the house of God. We sing, Lord, pour out your spirit. We sing praise and worship songs, but there's no response of generosity in the practical treasure of our lives. I don't want to live a life where I'm just through my lips acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus. I wanna live a life where through my actions, through my relationships and through how I steward my finances, He knows you are Lord, you are Creator, you are King, you are Messiah, you are my God. And everything I have is because you put breath in my lungs. Everything in my hand is because you gave it to me. No person can receive anything unless it's given to them from heaven. So with everything we've got, He gave to us, then why don't we honour Him with what He has given to us and extend His mission and His purpose through His church? Number six, freedom is a responsibility. This is one that some people may not have been exposed to in the past. This is the question, how am I stewarding my freedom? Am I using my freedom in Christ as a licence to indulge in sin because it's all under a weird theology of grace? Or am I turning my liberty in Christ into legislation of certain rules and regulations and behaviour that not only bind me up but bind people up around me? What does the Bible define freedom to be when it comes to... as stewarding our freedom because the world and the culture we live in has some distorted ideas of what freedom is. Galatians 5.13 says, you were called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, society attacks any worldview that restricts me from doing what I want to do. Am I right or am I right? And so if you, if you dare impose Any worldview that restricts me from my lifestyle preferences, my sexuality preferences, what I should do or shouldn't do with my time, my talent, my treasure, we are going to hold that worldview in contempt and we're going to label it prejudiced and bigoted. That's the society that you and I live in today. True freedom isn't doing what you want to do. True freedom is found in following Jesus. John 8.36, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. How can we truly understand what our hearts want when Jeremiah 17 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Who can understand it? The answer comes back, I, the Lord, am the only one who searches the heart and tests the mind. And what the church has often done throughout the last 2,000 years of history is we've gone to two extremes. When it comes to liberty, where the Spirit is, there is liberty. We've either taken that liberty and turned it into legalism, rules, regulations. You must do this, you mustn't do that. And, and even when we've created all the rules and legislated behaviour, have you discovered in life people are still doing what the rules say you shouldn't do? Because if that door, oh, there's not a door, just imagine with me, there's a door there. And so that door, if that door in, in going out in the foyer is locked and we've never been through that door before, but it's like, you know, danger, don't walk this way, no exit, your humanity will go, I'm going through that door. Because what the Lord does it arouses your flesh to break the law, right? We need a solution and we have in the person of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and what he's done on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit because left to your own devices, the law is a shadow of what and temporary of the perfection that can only be found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we can say, don't do this and don't do that and create a very legislated culture but your flesh under the surface will still go and do whatever it is that you want to do because the flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. Neither can we turn our liberty and freedom into a licence to indulge our flesh nature because grace, after all, will cover it all and we're all okay. No, grace, yes, is divine unmerited favour, but grace also empowers you to live a holy life in alignment with the Spirit of God. If you set your mind on the flesh, you'll inherit the, uh, the death of your flesh. But if you set your mind on the spirit, you'll live in alignment with the spirit. And so we would rather build a mature discipleship culture where you can, by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, can legislate your own behaviour rather than big brother tapping you on the shoulder all the time saying, oh, you naughty boy and girl, you you should be doing this and you should be doing that. That is not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is being discipled to be like Jesus, to have the living presence of God living inside of you, prompting your heart and rather than you feeling like someone has got a big stick and he's beating you to do the right thing. The Spirit of God leads you and guides you and you make good decisions in alignment with the Spirit of God. That's what we mean by freedom is a responsibility. I'm free, but I'm also a steward and I've got to be responsible for how I carry my freedom. This is what Jesus came to model to us. Number seven and finally, Church is a covenant family. This is where we ask the question, am I growing in a sense of belonging? And one of the distinctive strengths of our church is this idea of covenant family, a place where people belong. How many of us know the difference between a hotel and a home? Whenever you stay at a hotel, I've stayed in a bunch of them. When I was travelling 47 weeks a year, uh, for six years, all of the hotels just blurred. They all just blended into one. And, and going to a hotel sounds awesome if you're never going when you're in one all the time. All you want to do is go home, right? And so you're in the hotel and, and it's great because the customer's always right. You expect to be served. You can throw your towels on the bathroom floor and somebody else picks them up for you. You can have someone come and clean your room and make your bed. It's a wonderful experience. Anybody want to go to a hotel right now and just have a day off? Awesome, Right? But you try and bring that same attitude into your home with your family. You turn up to your spouse and you just expect to be served. You turn up and you don't pick anything up off the floor, but just wait for the maid to come and just pick something up or the butler to come and pick. And you discover they ain't picking that thing up off the floor that you put there. You have to take responsibility to build a home together. Let's not treat the house of God like a hotel where we expect to be served. Let's treat the house of God like a covenant home and a family where we all take responsibility to build each other up, to give something away, to edify, to own, to serve, to volunteer, to contribute into the family home is what it means to be a part of the family of God. God is building a family on earth. We are it. There's no reinforcements, there's no cavalry, there's no like special, you know, weapons and tactics unit going to come in and save the day for us. We are it. He is building a family. And what began with Abraham now includes us. We are the offspring of Abraham. We are the church of Jesus Christ. The only thing that Jesus is building on this planet is a family for Himself. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And because you and I are sons and daughters of God, we have access and privileges to certain things just like my kids have access to my fridge at home <laughs> my fridge our fridge <laughs> right <laughs> right and so if i oh, was steve Alphine's family but say that he wasn't family is just a stranger who knocks on my door and says you know what i'd like to come in and just have a look at what's in your fridge I'd say the devil is a liar. You are not coming in and just helping yourself to whatever is in the cupboard or the fridge. But my kids don't have to, pretty please, Dad, can I have something from the fridge? No, you, is your surname Turner yet? Yeah. Do you belong to this family? Yep, go to the fridge, help yourself. Well, guess what? You're a son and daughter of God. You're the offspring of Abraham. Abraham. All the promises of God are yes and amen. You have access to the privileges of inheritance and promises of the kingdom of God. You don't have to ask for permission. You just ask. You don't have because you don't ask. And if you're a son and daughter of God and you have access, go and access it. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? That's what it means to be in a covenant family. There are spiritual rights and privileges, but there's also privileges of being a part of the family of God. I remember several years ago going and ministering at a church in Sydney and from the Friday night youth service through to the Sunday night adult service, I was amazed at the emotional maturity in which people in that church treated each other the maturity of the young people, the teenagers, 13, 14, in how their their spirituality, how they carried themselves. I thought it was a show because I was the guest speaker until by the end of Sunday night, I'm convinced there's something in the water around here. I need to start drinking it. What on earth is going on in this church, Pastor, that you've cultivated such a healthy family atmosphere? He said, that's easy. I am not a CEO that's building a company or an organisation. I am a spiritual father that's building God a family. Boom. As soon as I heard that, it was like all the, all the, you know, ducks started to fly in V formation. It's like all the dots started to join together. I was like, that's what Jesus is trying to build through His church. As a leader, there are certain organisational dynamics because we're so large so many people that we do have to pay attention to and abide by but let me tell you something I am not a CEO that is building an organisation we are spiritual leaders mums and dads grandparents brothers and sisters sons and daughters aunties and uncles cousins that are building God a family on this planet and you and I are a part of it And the reason why that's important is because a CEO that's building an organisation will never reproduce a son and a daughter of God. Only parents reproduce sons and daughters. We're not just reproducing task-driven, task-oriented individuals that are about the task of ministry. We're building a relational covenant family that reflects the kingship of of Jesus as Lord, that reflects the heart of the Creator. And that is not just my responsibility, that's all of our responsibility. Because by this shall all people know that you are my disciples, Jesus said, by your love for one another. And so as a church gets larger, we've got to work harder to actually cultivate that and reproduce that. And one of the ways that we can work on this is by not elevating personal preferences over family convictions. Oh, man, I'm preaching much better than what I'm getting from you today. (laughs) That's not a statement of arrogance. It's just I'm getting in the the Jesus juice right now, okay? (laughs) A church starts to become toxic when individual members in the body Elevate personal preferences over family convictions. Well, I have a preference for this style of worship. Yeah, you may, and that's okay, but what about the conviction that's more important? Let's gather together and just worship Jesus. Well, I have a preference for this type of preaching. You know, the pastor gets a little bit excited, a little bit loud, a little bit too passionate for me. I'm not too sure that suits my... That may be your preference. But what about the conviction God's planted you here and called us here to speak into your life and to lead you and rather than looking for what's wrong with me, look for what's right and celebrate that and honour that and I'll help you grow more than you could ever grow in your life if you get into the slipstream of what God has placed upon your leaders to do. A preference may be, well, why don't we have this type of ministry or that type of ministry? That's okay. But what about a conviction? You know what? The ministries that we do have right now on the journey to where we're going, that's what God's given to us. So we're going to get behind that. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to be a part of that. It's all about whether or not you live by preferences and by convictions. In my family, my kids have certain preferences. And as mum and dad, we get to choose sometimes whether or not those preferences happen. Our kids may choose they preference. They want to eat here or eat there. But if the, all they do is eat Krispy Kreme donuts all the time, this is not going to go well for them. So as mum and dad, we're going to make some mature calls about eat your vegetables today. Eat that protein today. Do what you need to do here today. Why? Because that builds healthy family. Let's not be a church that elevate preferences over convictions. And by the way, in the Bible, whilst there may seem like there's a lot of convictions, there are open handed things that are negotiable and close handed things. And most of the close handed convictions are very few. God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden and says, The whole garden is available to you. Open handed, there's only one non negotiable. Don't eat from that tree. Because if you eat from that tree in that day, you will die. What do we do? Flesh, eat from the tree. And we think, well, if I was in, in the garden of Adam and Eve, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. You would. I would too. I'd be eating that sucker. I'd be like, yep, bring it on. Just feed me, right? Because there's a default in us that just wants to go, that's why we need each other. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to pray and believe God's Word and disciple and to give. That's why we need to steward. That's why we need to be people who celebrate our freedom. And that's why we need to be a covenant family. This is not by default. This is not by accident. Kingdom culture is by design. Kingdom culture is by intentionality. Let's be an intentional people that define our culture as a church by all of those values and let's see the Kingdom of God come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? Let's close our service. Wherever you are, why don't you lift your hands? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you right now for your Spirit, O oh God, that is breathing upon your people in this house at this time. Thank You, Father, for the anointing of Your Spirit. I thank You, Lord, for the power of heaven that God is in this Word right now. And Father, I pray in Jesus' Name that Lord, paradigm shifts would have taken place this morning. Lord, we'd better align with and understand what it is, the Kingdom DNA that is being built in this house. Thank You for what You have done, but more importantly, thank You for what You are doing and what You're about to do. And Father, I thank You that Lord, a harvest of souls, oh God, is building, Oh God, that You are raising up and sending out labourers to the harvest field. And God, we hear the call. We wanna be a part of the solution. We wanna be a part of the answer. And so Father, in our own personal lives, I pray this week in our families, our marriages and in our homes, help us to build kingdom culture. Help us to build an altar of prayer. Help us to be students of the Word. Help us to pray and think about, Lord, who are those people that You want me to disciple and reach out to? Help us, Lord, not to ignore the truth, help us to hear it and obey it. And Father, we'll give all the glory and honour to you as we see your kingdom come and you will be done. As we see miracles break out, signs and wonders become normal. As we see, O God, of the greatest vision offering we've ever seen, O God, in these coming weeks, Father. Lord, we declare it. We call those things that are not as if they were. And Father, we pray that there would be such a dynamic in our atmosphere, in our culture, that every time we gather together, anything could happen and it probably will that there'd be an appetite of faith and hunger and thirst where you and move. I'm telling you, God is in the building right now. Wherever you are, why don't you just begin to pray as we sing and as we worship right now. Let's lift our voices. Let's worship God together. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour.